Well, it is so great to have each and every one of you with us this morning. My name is Tim Bedall, and I have the great privilege of serving here as lead pastor. And I'm going to ask that you take God's Word in your hands and turn to the book of First Kings. We've been in a series that we've entitled Jesus, the Greatest of All Time, out of the book of Hebrews. But we're going to take a week off as we commemorate and celebrate all that God has done in these last days for us as a church. And as you turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 8, I would ask that you take a moment and let's just pray together. Father God, we come before you and as uh, our elder chairman, John Pilkington, prayed, we pray anew that you would do great things through this place. Lord, uh, this is just a building as we'll learn about in a couple moments, but but what transpires in it is what really is meaningful and and, and awesome. So Lord, I pray for those that have been baptized today. I thank you for the work that's been done to get this room ready uh, for this moment and this time. Lord, we pray that everything that is done in this place, from the songs that are sung, the prayers that are prayed, to the proclamation of your word, through the preaching, Lord, through the fellowship that will take place, that all of it will bring you great glory and praise. Now, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, we look to a time and in the past where they commemorated and celebrated a new building and the truths that are correlated to our day today and the truths that we can apply, uh, Lord, I pray that we will do so. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, I love new beginnings. As a student in school, I love the first day of school. You want to know why? Because I had straight A's. That was the last time that I would have straight A's. As a baseball fan, I love opening day. You want to know why? Because I'm a Cub fan, and usually that was the only time the Cubs were in first place. You see, opening days, brand new days, whether it's the turning of the page from December to January, there's something freeing, there's something really exciting about new opportunities New opportunities to experience God and His goodness and grace. New opportunities and relationships and opportunities for things. Maybe we have no idea that's going to come. There's something exciting when a new day dawns. Well, today is one of those days. The church celebrates its 50th anniversary, and what a way for us to celebrate our 50th anniversary in this new space, this space that has served us so well for 30 years, to be able to uh, renovate it and, and to prepare it for another 30 years of ministry. Well, I want us to focus this morning on a beginning back in 1 Kings 8. In 1 Kings 8, we are told about the glory days for the nation of Israel. 1 Kings 8 is about 975 years before the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And it was the glory days of the nation of Israel. For many years now, the nation had been led by one of the greatest leaders and one of the greatest worshipers of our God, King David. And while he wasn't perfect, he had led the children of Israel to a place of great prosperity. During his years of kingship, he would see the expansion of the kingdom of Israel in places and ways it had never seen before. First of all, the nation had never been bigger. It involved way more space and square miles than it had never ever thought possible. The second thing is the faith of the people was stronger than ever before. But like with every good leader, his time comes and goes. 
And King David would die as his fathers did before him. And his son Solomon, a wise and apt leader, would take the reins. And as he took the reins, he would finish what his father had started. Now one of those things was the building of a permanent temple for the worship of God. Now David had been given the instructions to all of this. God had clearly announced what the building was to look like, what was to be involved in the building, and the materials that were to be used for the building of this temple. But it would be Solomon who would be the one who would see the project to fruition. And what we have in 1 Kings 8 is a prayer of dedication. Now, if you were to read all of chapter 8, you would see two prayers. One longer prayer, blessing the place and giving it a place of honor to God. And then there's this shorter prayer starting in verse 54 that is a shorter prayer where God uh, uses Solomon to bless the people and to remind the people of what God had taught them in the past and a word of wisdom on how they are to live differently in the days to come. Now, a couple things about this temple. During the time of King Solomon, there was this renaissance of days that were going on. The nation of Israel was doing a lot of expanding, especially from a building standpoint. As you went to Jerusalem, you would see construction going on from gardens to commerce centers to cities being built from the ground up. But as you approach Jerusalem, you would see this massive structure that took seven years to build. Now, we don't have any pictures. Now, I know maybe some of the kids in our midst today maybe have a picture of it in their kids' Bible, but we don't have any real picture of what it looked like. All we can work off of is what the uh, description that God gives David on what it's supposed to look like, the specifications and the measurements. And so as I was researching this, I was thinking, well, is there a picture that I could show that would be able to uh, help us understand the grandeur and the beauty of such a space? And and there were some, there's some really nice pictures, uh, colored illustrations of it. But then I came upon in my research that a church in Brazil spent hundreds of millions of dollars for their building, and what they wanted it to look like was the exact replica of the specifications that God gave David. And after millions of dollars and five years of building it, they built Solomon's temple as their church. Now, some of you are having buyer's remorse about this space, right? You're like, we could have done that. That would have been awesome. But how beautiful and how awesome is that place? It must have been a sight to see. Now, as that was all transpiring and taking place, there needed to be a change in the hearts of people. They needed to focus in on what God and his word had for them. And one of the key truths that we need to remember that I want to remind you today of is that this is just a building. Solomon's temple was just a temple. Now, it had used tons, and I mean tons, of gold and silver and precious metals, as you will read in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 Kings chapter 7. But there's something significant that happened in 1 Kings chapter 8. And it's the same thing that needs to happen as we dedicate this place to the Lord. And that is we've got to invite the Lord into this place. You see, Solomon's temple is no different than this place. It is a man-made building. It's got 
material that was used for it. They brought craftsmen in to make sure that it was structurally sound and the artisans came in to make it look beautiful. But let's be honest, at the end of the day, Solomon's temple in all of its majesty and this room amidst all that has been done is just a building. And what we need to do is what they did in 1 Kings 8. And that is they brought the Ark of the Covenant, the earthly symbolization of God's presence. And they brought it into, and as we've been studying the book of Hebrews, they brought it into the outer courts and then into the most holy place and into the holy of holies. And as they place the Ark of the Covenant with all of the incredible things that were placed within it, like the Ten Commandments and the manna and Aaron's rod, Solomon leads the people in prayer. Brothers and sisters, before we get any farther in this, we need to, each and every time we come into this place, recognize that apart from the presence of Almighty God, this is just a shell. This is just a building. But when we invite God in, miraculous things will take place. When we invite God in, lives will be changed. When we invite God in, people will be made new. When we invite God into this place, listen to me, anything can happen. And so 1 Kings chapter 8 is God entering the building on this new day. And as he enters the building, the people of God are overwhelmed by his presence. And King Solomon prays. This prayer. Follow along with me in 1 Kings chapter 8, starting in verse 54. Now, as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from the altar of the Lord where he had knelt with his hands outstretched towards heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people. According to all that he has promised, not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. The Lord God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine, with which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night. And may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as is this day. There are three truths very quickly that I want to leave you with based on this passage of Scripture. On this new day, this new day where we come into a new space, we've been looking forward to this space for the last year and a half. We've been dreaming what this space would look like. And as we enter it, I want you to focus in on a couple things. Number one, I want us to remember that God keeps His promises. God keeps his promises. Notice verse 56. Blessed be the Lord God who has given rest to his people Israel according to all he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise. 
I want you to know that God is a God who's committed to things. He's a God who's promised things. And what we need to recognize and be reminded of is that God doesn't renege on those promises. There's a couple promises that have been articulated in the text. Number one, that God's people would find rest. For years, 400 years, they were slaves in Egypt. For another whole generation, they wandered the wilderness, never finding the rest they were looking for. And then when they entered the promised land, they had to fight and quarrel to get the land that they had. And now was the time that the rest was coming. For the first time, God would have a permanent place where he could be worshipped and adored. No longer in a tent, no longer in a tabernacle of the past. He would have an opportunity, and God was with them each and every step of the way. Likewise, God has shared promises to us. Fifty years ago, in 1971, a group of individuals, a small group of individuals, huddled together in a house not far from here in Sugar Grove, and they believed great things about a church being started. They believed that if they were faithful to God, and they would give of their time and of their money and of their energy, that God would use their humble beginnings to establish a church where the name of God would be made great. The host of those homes just recently passed away in, in a course of the last year, Omar and Rose Sutherland. And they believed in God. And they believed that if they served and honored God, that God would fulfill his promises, that they would be God's witnesses, not only here, but all over the world. Now we fast forward 50 years and we see what God has done in the faithfulness of his people. This promise of God doing wonderful things in and through us is near and dear to me today. You see, 30 years ago, I was here as an 11-year-old kid standing and, and experiencing the first grand opening of this building. I was one of the first individuals on that grand opening Sunday to be baptized. Now, I was a young kid. I was crazy. I had a lot of chaos going on in my life, but I had the great joy of my father of baptizing me. And in the service just before this one, I too, a father, got to baptize my middle son. You see, God's got promises. If we will remain faithful to him, he says great things will happen. In this building and in this space 18 years ago, I preached my first sermon. God bless those people who endured that time. And God said, I'm going to promise you some things. You stay faithful to me, I'm going to put a word in your mouth that will be edifying and useful for the people of God. You see, God has made promises. He's promised you things, and you need to know in these difficult and hard days that God's promises will come true if we will only be faithful. And our remembrance of this place is a reminder that God has been faithful over these many years. But notice this promise comes with something important, and that is his presence. His presence. God keeps his promises, and notice what he does. He gives his presence. He graces us with it. Now notice what he says. He says, I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. The reason why they would need this is with any step in the new, 
There's always fear and trepidation. For those that are about to attend a new year of school, there's a lot of what ifs. If you're new in a relationship, there's all kinds of questions. Will it be what I want in a new job? Will it be what I'm looking for? With every new step that we take, there's this fear and anxiety. Now, commentators say that as the temple was being built, there were some that really, really were excited about it, and there were others that struggled with it. And the question was, is what is the nation going to be like now that we have this new place? Can I just be honest with you that some of us may be sitting there and saying, you know what, I'm not sure about this. This new direction, this new change, this new day, it doesn't seem right. But one thing we need to remember is, no matter where we're going or what we're doing, if we're obedient to God, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. The last words he gave his disciples is, surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And so you can have hope. You can have trust in God, no matter what you do, if you are serving him faithfully, that God will take care of all the details and all the circumstances of life. This new day for Israel was going to be just like the old days of Israel, where God's presence was with them night and day, each and every year. Now, with all of this, there were changes. There was changes in the way they were going to worship. There were changes in the way they were going to fellowship. And those changes aren't easy to go with. We, especially as we get older, it becomes more and more difficult to roll with the changes. And so there's a lot of changes this morning, just as there was in 1 Kings 8. A lot of changes were coming on the horizon. But one of the things I want you to know, and Solomon hits on it, because I think people struggle with change, is that there are two things that cannot change. There are two things that will not change, both in the temple worship in Solomon's day and in our day as we open up this new facility. There's a lot of changes. The paint's different. The, the floor is different. The carpeting is different. The lights and the AV components are different. But what things haven't changed? Notice what, what Solomon says. First of all, our priorities don't change. Our priorities don't change. Notice the priorities of the people of God in verse 58 and verse 61. He says the following. He says that we would incline our hearts to him, that is to God, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Go on to verse 61. That our hearts, therefore, would be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day or at this time. So one of the things we've got to recognize and know is though things will change, as time changes all things, there are things that remain true. The same preaching and proclamation of God's word, the same priorities of discipleship that were alive and well 50 years ago of Village Bible Church are still here today. The priorities to see God's people follow in his commands and walk wholly true to the teachings of scripture are so very important. 30 years ago on this day, we were baptizing individuals, young people, into uh, a public declaration of God and his work in their lives. And today it remains the same. Oh, things will always change. 
But my prayer is that this church will remain true to its priorities, that we might be wholly true to the Lord, and that we would be true in our comings and goings as we teach our children, as we go out in our workplaces and our school, that people would know that we walk in the ways of God. There's a second thing that can change, and that's our proclamation. It would have been really easy for us to focus in on the building in, in Solomon's day. The temple was amazing. But I want you to know the reason why the temple was built, the reason why this church has had a renovation is found in verse 60. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. If you were to go down just a couple more verses, the heading in my Bible says Solomon's sacrifices. So Solomon gives these prayers and then he says, now let's sacrifice to the Lord. 20-some thousand oxen were put to death and sacrificed. Over a 100,000 sheep were also sacrificed during this time. Imagine the smoke. That's a lot of fire and a lot of sacrificing going on. The smoke, the aroma. Commentators said you would have been able to see that scene from dozens of miles away. In that moment of dedication, the world needed to know that God was worshipped in this place. Well, we're not sacrificing anything, so how do we get that aroma out? How do we let people know what's going on? Dozens upon dozens of cars have passed by this place since I started talking already, and people have no earthly idea what's taking place. So how do we get that proclamation out? We do so as we experience the presence of God in this place, as we hear his song sung, as we pray to him and see how God hears and answers prayers, as we listen to his word, the living and active word of God preached in our lives, we walk out of this place. And for those who will never step foot in this place, the aroma, the picture that they get is you loving them as Christ loved you. You forgiving them, you caring for them, you ministering to them, you using your gifts in your schools, in your workplaces, and in your neighborhoods. They may never step foot in here, but they will know you've encountered the one true God. And they'll ask the question, what is it about you that makes you who you are? And you'll be able to say, I'm a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ, and I want to tell you more about it. That's how we tell the world about what's happened in this place. And so we've got this great day before us, this great day with all of its changes and with all of its opportunities. But my prayer is that we would take this day and we would invite God's presence that we would bless this place, not only for us, but for the generations that are to come. That we would not only bless us and the generations that are to come, but that the name of Jesus would be gloried. The name of Jesus would be magnified so that we leave this place changed by what we experience, and in doing so, that we may change the world around us.